Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial at searchenginejournal.com forward slash audible and get your first book for free. We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world and all we can think about is where... Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part of work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Nerds. My name is Kelsey Jones. I'm the executive editor at Search Engine Journal, and I'm excited to be joined here today by Frances Donegan Ryan. She is in global community engagement for Bing Ads. Frances, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Kelsey. No, excited to be here and uh, to talk about uh, diversity in tech, uh, the topic you asked me here to chat about. And uh, I'm so glad I was able to do my first podcast with you guys. Ooh, this is your first ever? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. I do many more. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Diversity in tech, I know, is something that's really important to both of us. And so I first wanted to ask you a little bit about Janes of Digital, which is something you had talked about at PubCon um, in October of 2016. And so do you want to give a little overview for our listeners of what that is and what events you have? Yes, I'd be delighted to. So Janes of Digital is an event from uh, Bing Ads and Microsoft. Uh, We started it um, about three, almost three and a half years ago now. And uh, it got going um, based on a conversation that um, a colleague of mine and some, uh, some other women in the search industry talked about how they found that at conferences, uh, particularly search and also tech conferences, there wasn't um, sort of an organized or safe space for women to talk about the issues that we have. And they also felt like a lot of the social activities that were organized um, didn't feel safe for women. So, for example, the evening parties or the nighttime parties, you know, if you're representing your company um, and maybe you're there on your own or you're there with a small cohort of colleagues, it's tough to be at a party where uh, it might feel more like a, a nightclub atmosphere, but still you're there, you know, representing your company and it is a work event. And a lot of women, particularly if they were there on their own, didn't feel comfortable attending those parties based on some of the behavior that happened there. And so they felt like they mixed, they missed out on really important parts of conferences because obviously there's a lot of networking that goes on there. And so essentially there was a decision made to say, right, well, why don't we organize um, a space? Uh, there was a need for this. We saw that there was that gap and we felt that we could step in and help um, fill it and help broker it. Um, also with a cocktail in hand, we still wanted it to feel like a fun <laughs> evening event um, and pretty swanky and, um, and entertaining, but um, just felt more safe and felt like we actually got deep into some topics that were quite important to us. Yeah, Janes of Digital sounds great. Is there one coming up soon? There is. So our next Janes of Digital will be at the end of March uh, in San Jose. Um, And uh, you can go to the Janes of Digital website, which is janesofdigital.org to check out the dates and the location and to register to attend. 
we'll probably have that uh, updated once we have a secure date in the next few weeks. Uh, but also, in case you're not in the San Jose area, we live stream all of the genes of digital so you can still uh, view it and participate, um, make a cocktail at home so that you can join us with the fun as well. <laughs> and uh, we live stream straight on the our Bing Ads Facebook page, so facebook.com slash Bing Ads. That's awesome. So um, how do you think having those conversations that you guys do at Janes of Digital and maybe other events that you've been at, how do you think that that makes an impact in actually changing the conversation and how women are perceived in our industry? So, you know, one of the reasons why we saw a gap with these conversations is that we, we never saw in the official agenda of all of these conferences discussion around this topic. And uh, so, again, that was, you know, something we tried to fill that gap with and we, and we continue to try and fill that gap with James of Digital. But some of the outcomes that I've seen um, over the last three years of hosting these events uh, are that I see more women realize that they're not alone, that there is support and shared experiences. And I think, you know, this has been proven over and over in many, many studies that when people feel a sense of shared experience. It makes them stronger. It makes them less scared. Uh, and it helps build a connection between a community. And, you know, as a woman, it makes you feel less isolated, less singled out. And that can help lift some of the blame and, and shame around these incidences. I think um, also something that's been really brilliant about hosting Jane's is that um, the attendance of our male allies and colleagues has increased uh, from one event to the next. So in our last change in New York, for example, I would say it was about um, 40, 60, 40% male, 50% female. And as they attend, I've seen more of them ask questions um, because they also feel like it's a safe space to ask questions that, you know, they've had, but they've never known who to go to with them. Um, and I've seen it start to behave changer, changes uh, in their behaviors, in their way of thinking, and even in the language that they use. Um, I think the other brilliant thing, you know, even though we're called James of Digital and, and we lead with women's issues, uh, because we have a panel, we've been able to invite a range of other minority groups, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, the LGBTQ community, and I think it's opened up even the eyes of many people in the room who would consider themselves a real champion of, of diversity. Um, it's opened up their eyes to the experiences and the stories that those minority groups have as well. And I think it's fostering um, a community of supporting all of us and being allies for all of the, each other. Yeah, definitely. I've seen two in the women in digital breakfasts I've hosted this year that um, people will make a comment and then you realize, you know, that they're going through the same thing. And so I think a lot of times um, women or minority groups, they, they don't want to make a fuss or they think that they're just being mm -hmm. picky um, because, you know, it's just bothering them. It's not a big deal. And then to hear someone else say, you know, I feel this way too, it makes a huge impact. It, it, it You're right. It does make it feel like you're part of a community that knows what you're going through. Yeah. And you feel much less isolated. And, you know, I think unfortunately different, um, sort of cultural and societal pressures, stereotypes, um, 
messaging has made us feel that way, that perhaps we're overreacting, that we need to sort of take it on the chin, embarrass, that if we do confront it or bring it up, it makes us, you know, sound whiny or sound naggy or, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, something that's the scariest is the retaliation, whether that's uh, physical, verbal abuse, whether it uh, impacts our career, whether it impacts us getting invited back to be involved in that conference again, if you're a speaker, for example, um, there could be severe or you, there's at least a perceived uh, feeling that there could be severe consequences. And, you know, to live like that, to be in fear of your own safety uh, and mental health, as well as your career, which we've all worked so hard for, um, makes you uh, kind of internalize this and not do anything about it. And that, you know, internalizing it can cause, you know, further um, harm to you as well. Yeah, definitely. So I think the conversation itself is important, but I'm also a big believer Mm -hmm. in, tell like helping people figure out what they actually can do and what action they can take to make it better and so that was something I wanted to talk to you about you know what are some direct ways that employers or thought leaders you know in the industry that that we're in such as myself what can we do to increase the diversity or you know go beyond speaking up um, just about it at events like Jane's of Digital. So I do think that talking, 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 talking about it helps. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. more, the more we make this a regular part of conversation, the less it'll feel like a thing or a issue we have to address. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some examples of what my team has started doing uh, at, uh, at Microsoft and at Bing is um, every team meeting, we save time to talk about diversity and inclusion. Uh, so it's on the agenda. It's official part of our team conversation. And I think just um, making that time has made it easier for people to, again, ask questions and raise issues. Um, something else small that I do is every Friday I send out an email to my team with a little kind of a diversity and inclusion fact or image, something super small that you can, you know, read in like three seconds. I love that. Um, because I just keeping it top of mind, it, um, I find it helpful. The other thing that you can do and something, you know, Microsoft has been heavily investing in is company-wide diversity and inclusion training. And um, one of the awesome things that Microsoft has done is that they created a training called uh, unbiased, um, or sorry, unconscious bias. So, you know, there's obviously overt sexism and racism and harassment, but there's a lot of things that we say, behaviors, decisions that we make that uh, um, affect diversity and inclusion negatively, but we don't know we're doing them, right? There's these kind of unconscious biases that we all have based on the way we've brought up or communities we've lived in, countries we've visited, et cetera. And so Microsoft, um, in partnership with some leaders in the diversity area, created an unbiased uh, sorry, an unconscious bias training. And they actually made it publicly available to any person, any organization. So it's free. So if you're in a smaller company or it's not an area of, of investment or you, you know, just can't invest in it because you don't have the funds to do so, Microsoft has made it publicly available. So if you go to microsoft.com slash diversity, you can download the entire training and materials and program uh, and run it in your business or 
um, at your school or um, with your woman's community that you have. Um, so I think that, you know, formal training, creating space to talk about it, and people who are passionate about it sharing uh, with their team um, all helps to foster a safe space to discuss it. Something else that my the overall being at team at Microsoft has done is um, we have a lot of mentor programs and um, kind of learning circles. And one thing that I've noticed that I've really appreciated from leadership is that they come in and, you know, they'll sit down and they might be, you know, the corporate VP of sales or um, of marketing and things like that. And they say, you know, my title was left at the door. I am your colleague. I'm not going to leave this room and go, you know, to my boss and be like, oh, Francis said that, you know, she doesn't feel safe here, blah, 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 blah. This is a safe space where whatever we talk about in this room does not leave. And right now I'm not, you know, the role that I have or the boss. Uh, I am your colleague. I am your friend. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, one of the main reasons that we do not host exchange of digital at, say, a Microsoft office in the area or, the conference venue itself, uh, and we, we, you know, we spend a lot of money then to host it offsite is because it can be really awkward to talk about that in a more formal setting. And, you know, where, again, you're, you know, you might stand up and walk five feet down the hall to your desk and, and it can make it uncomfortable. So that's one of the big reasons we host it offsite in, in a separate location. But there are definitely things organizations can be doing more to create uh, that space to discuss it, even in the workplace. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's awesome. I didn't know that they offer that program for free. So that's really cool. We'll be sure to link to that in the recap yeah. post of the podcast. So that's great. I, uh, I just got a book this weekend. It's called overcoming bias. Um, Oh, yeah, it's by Tiffany, Jana and Matthew Freeman. So I'll link to that in the recap post as well. But I thought that kind of speaks to what you're saying is, you know, some people are biased and they just, like you said, unconsciously, they don't, it's just part of our society. And so I thought that that mm -hmm. might be something interesting, just reading about it and figuring out, you know, what you're doing and how you could change it, um, I think goes a long way for sure. Yeah, something else. Um, just quickly to throw that Microsoft has done um, just this year is that they, um, you know, every group at Microsoft, whether you're, you know, an office or Windows or Xbox or Skype uh, or Bing is um, part of our senior leaders scorecard, right? The, the top KPIs that they're tracked on and then obviously that they earn compensation on, you know, their bonuses, et cetera. Um, diversity and inclusion goals are now part of that scorecard. So say they met all of their revenue goals, but they did not meet their diversity and inclusion goals, that would not be considered, you know, an A plus scorecard or an all green scorecard. Um, so they, it's the uh, sort of advancement of diversity and inclusion and the, the clear examples and demonstrations of it within these groups are now tied to your pay, tied to your bonuses. And I think that makes it more real and more serious for those leaders, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's just, it's a, it's one approach of that, you know, leader setting the example. And then I think the trainings 
are a good approach for all of us who are sort of in the middle that might not have the authority yet that a leader would, but can be shaping the culture in the right way. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, that's that's uh, from the kind of executive and leadership standpoint. But what about uh, from us as women? I mean, what are some of the ways mm-hmm. that you've seen either yourself or other women hold themselves back? So, you know, I I, uh, I don't pretend I can speak for all women, but I yeah. think <laughs> if I tell some of my personal stories, I, I hope that they resonate with others. I think, you know, Personally, some of the ways I've held myself back, and I think, you know, those that know me generally know me as a very outgoing, um, loud, (laughs) and engaged person, Um, but all of us have ways um, and insecurities and ways that we we hold ourselves back. I think one of, uh, we've already touched on this, but one of the big things was, you know, based on some of the experiences that I've gone through I felt really alone and I felt like I was singled out. So there was something about me. There was something vulnerable or um, bad or weak about me that the individuals who, you know, harassed me saw and took advantage of. And that, you know, weakness uh, was a bad thing. And that uh, because I had that, I was singled out and it happened to me. And so that made me feel really alone and it, and it made it hard for me then to do anything about it or share it because um, I didn't want to feel weak and I didn't want the um, people to have a perception of me uh, in that way. And when I started hosting and having these discussions um, and particularly when there was a big discussion on Twitter with the hashtag, yes, all women, it definitely made me realize um, that I'm not alone and that not only are most women uh, attacked in some way, whether it's verbally uh, uh, harassed or, or even physically or held back in their career, um, I, I realized all of a sudden that if we all talked to each other about it, if we all made it public, what power there was behind that. And, uh, and you know, when you saw the volume of the people who were involved in the, that conversation in particular, um, it does make you feel like we're all in this together. And if we all shared and we're open, we could all support each other and we could all make um, this a top priority and move things forward and improve things. Um, and so I think that was the number one way I was holding myself back was feeling that I was all alone. And, and then you know, there are some other feelings that come along with that. Um, I'm not sure if I'm the only one that experienced it, but I started to feel kind of this, I don't know, this like sick pride that I was, you know, suffering through it on my own and it was making me tougher and that's such the opposite. Right? It was it was definitely making me uh, meeker. It was chipping away at my confidence. Um, and I started to take pride in this notion that, I was rough and tough and could handle it and deal with it on my own. And and it made me start to react to things with anger rather than with uh, sort of an open mind. And, um, you know, anger just breeds confrontation. It breeds uh, low confidence. Um, And once I could put anger aside and decide to, you know, I still get angry when I see injustices happen, obviously, but if I'm able to move or make space in the anger 
for determination and for focus and um, uh, action, uh, it it has made me stronger and it's made me happier. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I I think one thing that I that always bothers me when I see it, and I do it too, um, is when people uh, something bothers them, but they don't say anything because they don't want mm-hmm. to deal with the uncomfortableness of the situation. So that could be something you know online or in person. You know, I've had people. Um, it's always men ask me how old I am at professional events, which I don't know why that yep. matters. Um, call me, you know, pet names like sweetie and honey and whatever. Um, yeah. and, uh, ask me just really random questions that I'm like, why did you ask me that? And so, um, I know it's so comfortable to say something, but I really think that, you know, fight through it and try to say something. One thing that my mom um, told me that I try to do, and again, I'm not perfect. um, She'll say, why do you ask that? And it kind of puts Mm -hmm. it back on the other person to reflect on what they just said. And I love that. I think it's, it's not too confrontational, but it's also bringing it up. And so um, that's something I would urge everyone to say, you know, why do you, why do you ask, you know, if somebody asks how old you are, you know, why do you ask that? Um, and then that's <laughs> yeah. mom's always had that advice, right? I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I think that you know, sometimes when you know people ask you those questions, you just you know your brain doesn't catch up quickly enough that it's an inappropriate question. You just answer it. Yeah, right. Um, like if someone asks me my age, I sometimes have to think about what age I am because I kind of forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but yeah, making kind of making yourself stop and think about like, oh, wait, why are you asking me that question? Is there something else behind that that you need to know <laughs> in order to uh, network with me at a professional event? I uh, I think that's brilliant. And, and something else that you said, uh, you know, that you don't always remember to do it. I think that's another thing with women is that we feel like if we don't do the right thing every single time, we've failed. Whereas this is an ongoing practice and sometimes you're going to blurt out, you know, I'm going to blurt out my age answer and then walk away and be like, Oh my God, God damn it. Why did I, why didn't I use Kelsey's mom's, (laughs) Um, you know, suggestion and recommendation. And, um, and sometimes you're going to remember, and it's really just the more you practice, the more you talk about it, the more confident and, and comfortable. It's not even confidence. It's really just how comfortable are you addressing those situations? And, Something that, you know, I've talked about and written about and, and said at Jane's uh, and, and uh, one of our brilliant panelists, um, Siobhan, brought up at the New York uh, event was, you know, having conversations where your privilege is poked is really uncomfortable and feeling that your privilege or your sort of safe space is being invaded by something that's different makes you react um, negatively, typically. And I think that that's a lot of what, honestly, white men are going through at the moment. You know, they've always been in a position of of power, whether they recognize it or not. Um, And I think that, in particular, successful white men need to know how much power they have in their voice. And the more that they stand up as allies, the more that they correct inappropriate behavior, um, it's much more impactful coming from them. And, And I would love them to realize that power that they have. And and when we see other allies, it will help us 
um, become more comfortable responding in a way that that either corrects or calls out the inappropriate uh, action or behavior. Yes, I love that. Um, Brent Satoris and Lauren Baker are um, co-managing partners along with Janice of SEJ, and they do an amazing job at that. So a lot of times if I um, tell, you know, a potential contributor or someone who's trying to pitch me something for SEJ and I just say no, a lot of times they'll go back to Lauren and say, you know, is Kelsey really the final word on this? Does she really know what she's talking about? And he forwards the email to me and CCs them and says, um, can you uh, handle this or whatever? And it's like basically saying, yes, she has the authority. And I know that, you know, people are allowed to question me and it's probably not always because I'm a woman or whatever, but that's a very little thing where you're, where he's standing up for my authority as the executive editor mm-hmm. of SEJ. And I appreciate that so much because I feel like as a woman, especially in a visit, a visible uh, position in digital marketing, um, you know, I'm, I'm scared to feel, to fully embrace the, you know, authority I have. So having allies, like you said, that are going to support you and say, yes, you're doing this, you have the power, um, is so helpful. Yeah, I, I definitely think having allies is, is incredibly, it's incredibly valuable and it makes you feel stronger. Uh, and it makes you, you know, kind of it, it, it helps you remove that imposter syndrome that a lot of us experience. Um, particularly when we are promoted into roles of power and, and um, higher levels of responsibility. Um, you know, every time you get a new job, you face that fear of like, you know, you're celebrating and you're congratulating yourself and you're excited. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I know, why, did they, I know. why did they give this to me? <laughs> Um, and having, you know, mentors and allies to help you move through that, cra- that, that, you know, slight craziness period is, um, it's so helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to kind of wrap it up today um, and give our listeners some parting advice, um, you know, even though we're women, we're still allies to other women and, you know, the mm-hmm. men out there listening too. So what are some, you know, parting tips you would give um, to other people of how they can speak up when they see um, issues with inclusion happening? I mean, besides my mom's great advice, do you have any <laughs> other um, ways that people can kind of speak up um, and say something? I do think, um, you know, I have found personally that being more um, public about what I'm experiencing has helped me. Now that is probably very much based on my personality type and my insecurities. And, you know, I, I pull energy from other people around me. So if I know that they understand me better and can support me, that gives me energy. Some people, um, you know, depending on your sort of personality type and your learning type, um, pull more energy from themselves and need more time to process what's happened to them. Uh, so some advice I would say is even if you don't react right in that moment, it doesn't mean that it's not something you can address or talk to later. Uh, and that was something I learned that, you know, even if it's a month later or two months later, you're like, you know what, I'm still quite upset and it's still affecting me. Speak to someone, see what your options are. Um, I definitely have become much more comfortable when I see something happening, just immediately standing up uh, for it. You know, I've been, uh, whether it's at a work event or not, I've been, for example, in bars where people are using LGBTQ slurs 
and I'll ask them to stop. And if they continue, I've gone and gotten a manager and had them, you know, kicked out. Um, and, you know, doing little things, I've called people out, you know, on racism when I'm just out socializing with friends, uh, not so much from my friends, but, you know, from people around us. And I think that that's helped me, you know, that's kind of a less scary place to do it because you don't have the fear of the retribution to your career, or at least for me, mm-hmm. that is. And so I've gotten good practice in doing <laughs> that when I'm out um, in a social uh, atmosphere. And I think... Um, once I really felt like I had the support of my boss, I felt more empowered to do it. So for example, I, 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 you know, have spoken out about it, uh, when I was at the U S search awards, I spoke out about it, mm-hmm. um, last year or in the last spring at, um, a conference where I wrote about an experience I had the night before on, um, social channels and I've become more comfortable doing that. But, I think it would be important for, you know, everyone listening that if that's not your personality type, don't force that. That is not the only way to deal with it. Um, But take the time that you need. Don't feel that if time has passed, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I was, uh, as I was preparing for this and after you asked me to talk to this, I was sort of debating whether I would share some experience that I've gone through. Um, I, you know, I was, harassed at at work by um, people that work um, not directly on my team, but other teams around me. And I went through every stage of blaming myself, um, saying, you know, if you hadn't have done X, Y, and Z, then this wouldn't have happened to you, which is, you know, when another woman comes to me and they tell me that, you know, I'd be like, oh my God, why are you thinking like that's the silliest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, you go through it yourself. So I went through all of those phases of blaming myself, of just being sad, of being like, uh, you know, telling myself, you know, maybe it wasn't as bad as it was, and I was overreacting and I was exaggerating it. Um, went through every step of that. Um, even though people would look to me as an expert or in this area. And then I made the decision to report it to our human resources and went through a very difficult and very painful process um, as the investigations continued and different results came through and different decisions were made. And kind of when I got to the end of it, I remember sitting down and thinking, I don't know if I would do this again. I don't know if I would report it again. Um, And it took me, you know, which was a really sad realization when I know that I would have given advice to other women to report it and to go through it. Um, And I wish someone had prepared me and said, absolutely, this is what you must do, not just for yourself, but for women in the future who they might uh, harass and will, will have an extra layer of protection and help because you have reported it. Yeah. but I remember sitting down at the end of it and, and crying and just thinking, I don't know if I would do this again. And it took me about a month um, to get to a stage where I wasn't just like crying every day. Um, and it, it took me almost two months. You know, now it's it's been a couple months and I do feel like I would do it again. Uh, I know that it was the right thing to do, um, but this stuff is not easy and I I would like women to be prepared for the fact that doing the right thing, reporting something, standing up for yourself, 
uh, asking the question, why are you asking me that? None of this is easy. And I don't think, you know, sometimes I feel like there's reverse process to say, end up and say something and that's how we'll make things better. And it's really not easy. And I applaud anyone who does what they feel they can to stand up for it and try and change a behavior. Um, but I, I, you know, it's not easy. I know that other women know that, and we're still here for each other. And I would still encourage people to do it, but I would let them know it's not going to be easy and prepare yourself for that. And, um, but it is the right thing to do. And, you know, history tells us that the right thing to do is often not the easy path. Right. And, um, and I would hope that women take strength from that and know that, uh, even those of us who might seem louder or more positive about it or, or more confident speaking about it, it's still not always easy. Yeah. I mean, as a, as uncomfortable as you felt going through that, um, you know, thinking about all the women, all of us that go through that several times a year, a day, a month, whatever, yeah. and um, leaning on a support team when you're going through something like that, um, or if something as simple as saying something at a networking event and looking at the other people around, I do think people, if you're the trailblazer, people will support you. Um, maybe they don't want to be the one that's going to say something, but they're likely going to support you, I, I hope anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that is not easy. I've I've been through that myself. Um, I had an experience where my this old company I used to work for it was all male dominated and I reported stuff but he my manager was friends with the guy doing it so nothing happened Mm -hmm. and it was a a very power powerless feeling um Mm -hmm. and as much as I felt that I still had to remember that I had the power to leave and so I did um now I'm sure there's tons of other ways I could have handled that Um, but I spoke to HR, I spoke to my manager, nothing happened. And in that situation, you know, maybe it's not the best place for you to be. Um, I think whenever you feel so uncomfortable, I try to remember what power I do have. So even if it's, and I've done this several times, if it's a very uncomfortable situation and I'm by myself, I'll just get through it. I'll just say yes or say whatever I need to say to get out of that situation with that person. Um, And then I'll do something, you know, on the back end. I'll write an email or I'll follow up later when I'm feeling not as uncomfortable. Um, And I Mm -hmm. still think that that does make a huge impact for sure. Yeah. I think something that came the last James as well, and I can't remember if it was uh, which panelist said it, um, you know, and I think women are the worst at this. We put everyone else, typically, right, in, in general, we put the safety and health and welfare of our children or our partner or, you know, our family ahead of ourselves. And, you know, I, I, I fully understand that not all women are in, uh, economically might not have the same choices to leave a situation um, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's detrimental sure. to them. But, if you are not your own ally first, you won't be able to be someone else's ally. The first ally that you need to to support is your, or the first person you need to be an ally to is yourself. And we often, um, particularly in America, don't put enough focus or value on our mental health 
and um, how important it is to be strong in that area and have kindness for yourself um, and have other people who are kind to you uh, because it will be difficult uh, for you to support other people and to be um, an ally for others. Uh, it will be almost impossible if you're not first an ally to yourself. Yes, I love that. I think those are good words to end on. What yeah. do you think? <laughs> yes, and I hope, you know, something we always try to do at Jane's is we do get deep and talk about quite personal and uh, sometimes painful and emotional topics. I find we always leave Jane's, though, on a positive or even celebratory note. Once you talk about these things, it makes it more open. It might be difficult, but I, you know, you know, I feel ready for my day now. I feel more positive. Sharing makes me feel better. And, um, you know, I, I think the more opportunities we have to do this, the better. Yes, for sure. Well, Francis, thank you so much for joining me. Um, a lot of good stuff here, and I hope we can have you back sometime. Yes, I'd be delighted. And, you know, I'm on Twitter at FrancisCR. If anyone wants to reach out and, and talk more, um, I'm more than willing to. Awesome. Well, again, this is Kelsey Jones with Marketing Nerds. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.